please turn with me this morning uh, to Deuteronomy chapter 19. Deuteronomy 19. When the Lord thy God hath cut off the nations whose land the Lord thy God giveth thee, and thou succeedest them and dwellest in their cities and in their houses, thou shalt separate three cities for thee in the midst of thy land, which the Lord thy God giveth thee to possess it. Well, friends, we're going to be looking at a few different uh, verses, and I'll be jumping around uh, today as we discuss some of the civil laws that were given uh, to Israel. They had no laws of their own. They uh, couldn't really follow the laws uh, that were around the nations, round about them. There was so much unjustness, injustice in those laws, so much that was really not worth uh, following and would be dishonoring to God and would be unjust for uh, those uh, fellow uh, citizens and you would prefer and favor some and uh, ignore others. Well, that wasn't to be in Canaan where they were to go. So God is going to give them a new set of laws and we'll be looking at just a few of them. We haven't got time uh, to look at them all. There are just uh, quite a number. But each of them is really uh, so helpful even to us uh, today. Last week, uh, we had the state opening of Parliament and uh, King Charles III, well, he gave his first king's speech. And uh, the speech, of course, is written for him. It's not really his own words. And, uh, but in it, uh, he, was, he outlined 21 bills that the government is hoping, hoping to put into law uh, this coming uh, Parliament term. And each of uh, uh, that particular speech uh, had uh, different themes uh, to it. Growing the economy is a big theme every time. Strengthening society was another uh, theme with a number of bills to it. Interestingly, one of the bills within this category was bringing in football regulation. Well, I'm not sure how that strengthens the society, but uh, maybe they have something in mind there. Keeping people safe. Well, that's another uh, theme that they had. They want life to mean life uh, when it comes to prison sentences. So the aim, of course, is to protect and to enhance uh, the environment that we're living in, the society that we have, to make it a safer place, a, a better place, a more prosperous place for us uh, who live here, and to improve our lives. Well, today, uh, these, these laws which we're looking at, these bills, we could say, that uh, God gave uh, through Moses to Israel, uh, they are to improve and they were to regulate the life of the Israelites when they got over, the, over Jordan and into Canaan. How they were to conduct themselves, how they were to treat one another, what they were to do when things went wrong, when, when the law was broken, when crimes came about, how were they to, uh, to handle these things, what laws needed to be in place to ensure equity and fairness and equal treatment and justice for all, not just for the select few, not just for the rich, not just for the beautiful, not just for those who had power, but for all. How was that to be uh, meted out? Punishment, what kind of punishment was, was necessary? What was necessary for a stable and happy uh, society? Because God in His great kindness condescends to give them uh, this Bill of Rights and uh, this is what I 
want to speak about. So as I said, there are just too many to mention, uh, but uh, I have three themes myself. And uh, firstly, I aim to talk about the sacredness of human life, and then the sanctity of the family, and then we may just touch on the last one, law and justice, time permitting. So firstly, uh, the sacredness of human life. Now at this time, when Moses and the children of Israel lived, was a time when life was really cheap. Life was very cheap. God uh, gave to his people, therefore, these special laws to teach them life is precious. Human life is very precious. Human life, each human life, is of value, and no one is to be undermined. He's teaching them to have a high respect uh, for uh, human life. And we'll look just at uh, three uh, examples uh, here. Firstly, as we read here in chapter 19, we have these three, uh, the, uh, these cities of refuge. Now, the Lord said uh, when they were to go into Canaan, they were to uh, establish three cities of refuge, Levite cities. Actually, sorry, six cities, three on the east side uh, of the River Jordan, three on the west side. And uh, if they obeyed the Lord, the Lord would enlarge their land, and then the, they were to add three other cities in due time. That never actually uh, happened. But these six cities of refuge were for uh, those who had accidentally uh, killed uh, somebody. An example is given here in verse 5. A man goes into a wood, he's chopping down trees in the forest, he's going about his work, he takes a swing back, the axe head comes off, off, the, off the handle and flies through the air and it, uh, it strikes one of his fellow workers and kills him. And he, he, it's a fatal accident, but he never meant to do it. It was a purely accidental incident. And so what does he have to do? Well, he has to run. These cities are provided for him to run to for safety and for protection. Because hot on his heels, once the family member of that deceased person found out his, uh, that his relative had died, he would want vengeance. He would be chasing after uh, this person who had killed his relative. And he wouldn't be satisfied until he had actually carried out uh, uh, he, he, he executed his sense of justice. But uh, uh, so a, safe, uh, a safe haven is provided for this manslayer to run to. He didn't mean to do it. It wasn't a plan, a premeditated uh, murder, uh, killing. It was something that just happened in the course of life. And so his life needs to be protected. He doesn't deserve to die. And so these six cities, God said, are to be put in place so for these uh, accidental killers to run to. They had to be accessible. They had to be uh, cleared of all debris. They had to be signposted probably so that people knew exactly uh, where, where the city was and he could run there. As soon as he got there, well, he, he was safe if he was genuinely, if it was a genuinely an accidental killing. Because when the pursuer, the avenger, would come to the city, well, the, an inquiry would be made. The judges would, would have to decide. They would have to check all the evidence. What really happened? Is this really an accidental killing? Or was this a deliberate killing on, on their on, by this man? And if it was as, uh, an accidental killing, as in this case, 
Well, the, 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 the uh, manslayer was allowed to stay uh, in that city of refuge. The avenger of blood couldn't touch him. But he was, the, the manslayer was restricted in his movements. He had to remain in that city of refuge. He couldn't go out of it, a kind of limitation there on his movements. So protection is given to this person. His life is preserved from the hot vengeance of man, uh, even the wanting, the vendetta uh, feeling that uh, he would have uh, within him. And it's an expression of God's uh, kindness uh, and of true justice. God is protecting the innocent person. Now, what about if it was a deliberate? What about if that, uh, if that it was no accident, but, but something which was premeditated? Well, the verses uh, go on to tell us that his life wouldn't be uh, preserved. He had no safety uh, in that particular uh, place, in that particular uh, city, but he would uh, lose his life. Verse 11, if any man hate his neighbor and lie in wait for him, and rise up against him, and smite him mortally that he die, and fleeth into one of these cities. The elders of his city shall send, and fetch him thence, and deliver him into the hand of the avenger of blood, that he may die. Thine eyes shall not pity him, but thou shalt put away the guilt of innocent blood from, uh, from Israel, that it may go well with thee. The, the, the punishment for deliberate murder was the death penalty. And uh, it may seem severe to us, but that's what is right. It was life uh, for life. The punishment must fit the crime. The punishment in, in the Bible is never disproportionate. It's never disproportionate. It always uh, fits the crime. Life for life, eye for eye, uh, tooth for tooth. Life, to take a life is a, is a huge thing. To take the life deliberately of somebody who is made in the image of God, who bears the resemblance of God in so many different ways. Well, that's a huge thing. And so the one who has uh, killed another uh, uh, with intent, he must uh, lose uh, his life. Now, some of these laws, and, or rather the punishments that we, we will see and come across, they seem very severe. And for us in our day generation, we think it's a bit over the top. But we have to remember Israel was a very privileged nation. God dealt with, with Israel as he dealt with no other nation. And so uh, more was expected of them. But also these were abominable crimes. And they deserve to be punished in such a way. God is a God of justice. He never does anything unfairly. Furthermore, the land had to be preserved and kept holy because from it the Messiah would be coming. And so there was that, that was necessary as well. But also, friends, it would act as a deterrent when people would hear what had happened to this deliberate murderer. Well, they would fear, and they would, they would take note, and they would be appre uh, apprehensive about doing such a thing themselves. They would think twice before they carried out such a similar act. Today, uh, what, what happens? Life is cheap, isn't it, today? Life is cheap. How many murders uh, take place on our streets? From what I, I, I gathered in 2022, 20, 23, over that time period, there were 602 murders in England and Wales alone. Thousands in America, 
uh, over the same period. But in our, in our country as well, 602 people have lost uh, their lives or friends. Surely, if there was such a thing as a death penalty, people would uh, think twice before they committed such an atrocious crime, before they carried knives on the streets and so on. They would think twice. Does the Bible advocate that? Does the Bible advocate death penalty for murder? Yes. That's what the Bible uh, teaches. Human life is precious. Everyone is precious. Everyone is of value. To take another life, well, really is a great crime. But let me move on quickly. And uh, chapter 24 and verse uh, 7, we read about the case of uh, stealing or kidnapping. If a man be found stealing any of his brethren of the children of Israel and maketh merchandise of him or selleth him, then that thief shall die, and thou shalt put away evil from among you. This was kidnapping a fellow citizen, one of the brethren, and kidnapping them for the purpose of slavery, slavery, and slavering them. Either the person, the kidnapper, would use them in their own home or their own fields for their own work as a slave, or they may sell them off on as merchandise, as a product, sell them on to other uh, uh, people uh, for them, to work for them. Well, the, the children of Israel are forbidden from acting in such a way. It was an evil and a vicious thing uh, for them to do, to take, kidnap uh, one of their own and uh, deprive him of his rights. Every person has their rights. Every person has their right to freedom, uh, uh, freedom to go where they desire to go, to do what they desire to do. Kidnapping steals uh, from them. It steals that freedom. It deprives them of that right to which they are entitled. It robs him of his self-respect. To make a person a slave in that way, uh, well, it undignifies a man, doesn't it? It debases a man. It ought not to happen. It's so important, uh, this. He must treat his brethren with dignity and respect. He mustn't uh, debase him. And that's why even here, well, the punishment was very great. It was the, the, the one, the thief would die. And the Lord is teaching the people, well, you must respect uh, your brethren. Respect the rights of other people and not uh, deprive them of that which they are entitled to. Well, we wish we could say <laughs> kidnapping is extinct in our modern day. Uh, it's, it's still here, isn't it? It's still here. Um, we have modern day forms of it. We hear about uh, trafficking that takes place. Women are trafficked from other countries, brought over to the UK for prostitution and other illicit uh, activities, are all under the lure of a, a nice job, a good job, fooled and deceived into it. They're kidnapped. We, have, we hear about people even who are being exploited into forced labor and uh, all for a, a pittance uh, of a wage and there's no protection for them. They're deprived of their life, their, li their rights. We hear about people isn't it, in other countries where they're working uh, long, long hours for a pittance, and they have no rights, no protection. Well, God cares about such, such situations, friends. And here, uh, uh, this is all brought out in this, uh, in this case about kidnapping. But then chapter back to 23, 
and verse uh, 15. We read a little bit more about a runaway slave here. If a runaway, uh, thou shalt not deliver, uh, sorry, beg your pardon, get it wrong. Chapter 23, verse 15. Thou shalt not deliver unto his master the servant which is escaped uh, from his master unto thee. He shall dwell with thee. Well, this is the case of a slave who has run away uh, from his master and uh, he's run to a safe home, another, another person uh, for protection and for safety. And uh, the, the owner of that house, the master of that house, he mustn't send this slave back again to his master. Now, the first thing that may come to your mind is you may think, well, that seems very unjust. Why should he keep? It would be unfair for him. It's, it's not his slave. It's not his servant. He should return it to the, 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 his original master. If, uh, if, uh, if this was the case for every slave, then all slaves would run away uh, to another master. Uh, for, safe, for a safe haven. But the issue here is that this particular slave was being cruelly treated. He was being harshly treated. Perhaps there was violence there and he was being, the master was being brutal uh, with uh, his servant. And he's running perhaps for, to escape for his life. And so it would be wrong for uh, that, uh, the home that he runs to, the master of the home that he runs to, to then send him back into such a precarious position. It would be wrong and unjust for him to do that. He mustn't do that. It wasn't open to all slaves to run away, but those who are running away from somebody uh, who was uh, very cruel, excessively uh, violent, to re re return such slaves to their master well, would make that person an accessory to the butchery and the violence that he would have to endure. Now, friends, at this time, uh, slavery was not outlawed, uh, but uh, slaves were to be treated uh, humanely. God hates slavery, and God, is, we, we believe, brought it to an end at the right time. There is no place for slavery at all. And we look back with disdain at the slavery that's taken, past, uh, taken place in the past. But at this time, the Lord, uh, while he didn't deal directly with it, he did put in place, as we looked not so long ago, how slaves should be treated. And slaves were to be treated humanely. Uh, they were, uh, God gave rules uh, concerning uh, servants. And uh, you remember how he, he said they were only to serve six years. And it was to be a willing service. And after six years, they were to be set free. And they were to be set free how? Not uh, just see you, thank you for your service, goodbye. But they were to be set free with, loaded with gifts and helps uh, for them to begin their life anew as they left their, their master. The dignity again of another person uh, is in mind. The dignity even of slaves. God is instilling this. Even the way you treat those who are serving you, you must respect. You must honor them. How kind. God is to think on these uh, terms even. Well, that's, uh, that's about the sanctity uh, of life. But secondly, let's consider the sanctity of the family and how important uh, this is also for our day and generation. Marriage, as we know, is the oldest institution on earth. And uh, how thankful we are to God for it. The family, 
so precious. The family is the bedrock of uh, society. Marriage, the home, these are all ordained of God, ordained of God, not only for uh, a, a stable society, but for happiness of man and women, for us to enjoy a life to a certain degree. So we shouldn't be surprised that it comes under attack. We know that the enemy attacks anything that God has put into place. He hates anything. He seeks to break up and to destroy uh, anything that God has ordained. And here is something else that he ordains, that he attacks. The, the home and the family structure. And he seeks to bring it to an end. So in the time, uh, in this time also, when uh, Moses and the children of Israel were there, the home also was under attack. And special safeguards are needed uh, and provided by the Lord to protect it. We cannot again look at all the, all the cases but uh, we, just a few, chapter 21 and verse uh, 15 uh, deals with uh, uh, a man who has two wives. If a man have two wives, one beloved and another hated, and they, they have borne him children, both the beloved and the hated, and if the firstborn son be hers that was hated, then it shall be when he maketh his sons to inherit that which he hath, that he may not make the son of the beloved firstborn before the son of the hated, which is indeed the firstborn. So here is a man, he's, he has uh, two wives. Uh, the Hebrew could also mean uh, be taken off. He has had uh, a wife, and so one has died, and now he's got a second wife, but it, it, it can also be taken in this way as a man has two wives uh, at the same time, polygamy. And uh, he is in this situation. And again, God doesn't directly deal with the, with, the, with the subject of polygamy here. We know that when God first created man and woman, it was only one man and one woman. That's how we define marriage today. That's God's ideal for life. One man, one woman uh, uh, together. But uh, here we see that because of sin, sin entered in, we know that polygamy came in through Lamech, Genesis chapter 4, you can read that. The first man to take uh, more than one wife, he had two, and uh, many people followed suit after that. But it was, God was, uh, he was not sanctioning polygamy here, but he's trying to prevent people who have gotten into it from adding one sin to another. The issue here is not really addressing polygamy, but the issue here is uh, fairness for the firstborn son. And uh, here it was, uh, if a husband uh, favored uh, his second wife, well, she might use uh, her position as the favored wife to whisper in her husband's ear, oh, uh, make our son the firstborn. Make our, our son, let him have the rights. The firstborn was entitled to a double portion of the inheritance. He got the family name. He became uh, the leader of the, the family clan. It was a privileged position. And here the second wife is saying, uh, suggesting to the husband, make our son, even though he's not the firstborn, make him the firstborn. And uh, the Lord says, you mustn't do that. You must be just. You must be fair uh, in uh, your dealings uh, here. And you must do no such thing. You must treat uh, each child in the family fairly. There's to be no favoritism in the home. 
If he gave in to favoritism, well, you can only imagine the results in the, in the home, isn't it? Oh, there would be an, an uproar in the home. There would be a, a quibbling amongst each other. There would be complaining and grumbling. It would introduce all sorts of things, all because the husband had shown favoritism and a preference to one to whom it was not due, the second, the second child. He must maintain uh, stability and order in the family and be shown to be fair to each, to each one in the family. Uh, so here the Lord is not endorsing or approving of polygamy, but uh, limiting uh, sin being added to another sin with the firstborn. So uh, another, another uh, case we read off is in chapter 21, again still, and verse 18. And this is on the surface, surface of it, a little bit of a difficult one. Verse 21, verse 18, If a man have a stubborn and rebellious son, which will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and that which, when they have chastened him will not hearken to him, then they were to bring him uh, to the, the elders, and uh, there they would be punished by the elders and punished with death if everything was found to be true. Now, this, this sounds very, very harsh, isn't it? After all, which son hasn't been rebellious to some degree? Every son, every one of us would have had to be put to death. There wouldn't be very many of us, uh, don't, not many, many goody-goody boys uh, who would survive uh, in, in, uh, if this were just a general rule for every single infringement in the home. But no, it's something more to it. must be something more. So we need to look a little bit closer, a little bit deeper at what's happening uh, here. And you can see as you read on, firstly, this was not just a young, young boy. It was not a young child. This was uh, more likely to be somebody who was mature, somebody who was uh, a young adult, or perhaps a little bit older even, because we read of him that not only was he rebellious and wouldn't obey uh, their parents, but verse 20, he was a glutton and he was a drunkard. So he must be somewhat older. But then also you, you see the father and the mother, they've tried everything to turn him, his, his life around. They've tried to persuade him. They've tried to correct him. They've tried to discipline him, and nothing's worked. He's still carried on in that same rebellious way. And then you notice as well, when the, this, this uh, rebellious child is brought before the elders, the father and the mother both bring, uh, bring him. It's not just the father alone who's had enough. The mother as well. You know the, the affections of a mother for her son. <laughs> They're very difficult to break. And so for her to go on, to bring her own son and say, he doesn't deserve to live anymore. He needs to be uh, punished and, 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 and put away. Well, that was a big thing. That was a huge thing for her to say. But even then, the elders of the city still had to do their investigation and find out what is right and what is not. Is it true that he is really as bad as they make him out to be? Well, I'm sure his reputation would have preceded him. And he would be known to be a drunkard and a glutton to others. And if it was truly so, well, he would have been stoned uh, to death. But uh, friends, verse 21 suggests to us that it was a rare thing. It hardly ever happened. The Jews actually said it never happened. It was never implemented. But it must have been a rare thing if it, if it was. Because uh, the Lord says there, 
so shall thou put away evil from among you, and Israel shall hear and fear. It's not something that they were used to hearing. Oh, we heard that all the time. No, this is news. This is news. And that would stir them into uh, thinking, and it would prevent again, it would act as a preventative to other young children to not be rebellious to their parents in their homes. Other sons would hear and would be afraid to follow, and society is protected. Society is kept. Friends, we often think today our, our lives as individuals, they don't make any difference. It's just me. I'm responsible for my life. I'm responsible for my family. It doesn't really affect anyone else. Doesn't this verse teach us as well that our individual actions have an impact on the society in which we live and whether we are contributing to its peace and safety? Well, here also in the home, these th rules are put in place for the peace of the home and the peace in society. Well, just uh, one more under this uh, theme, uh, and that is in chapter 22. Chapter 22, verse 22. And it's about <clears throat> the case of adultery. If a man be found lying with a woman, married to an husband, then they shall both of them die. So here, of course, if a, a, a man slept with a married woman or vice versa, well, the crime was so bad, was an abomination uh, to the Lord. The marriage bed has been defiled. God uh, hates, uh, hates uh, adultery. And uh, he, he has said, even in Hebrews, that he will judge uh, adulterers and adulteresses. So it's the contract here between the husband and wife has been violated. The marriage bond has been broken because a third party uh, has uh, come in. And so uh, they were uh, both to be put away. But here is given another case in the following verses. If a woman is apprehended and taken by a man forcefully against her will, if she cries out and if she uh, resists uh, all his, uh, his, his uh, attempts, if, uh, this, of course, if this is, a, uh, this is a case of rape, isn't it? If this such a thing happens, well, if, but if the woman cries out uh, and uh, yet still is overcome, she was not to be put to death. She was to uh, survive. Her life was not to be taken to her. The law is put in place to protect her and to keep her uh, from uh, being misjudged in this case. Oh, friends, this is women's rights. <laughs> this was a time when women were treated as chattel. A man could do what he liked with his, with his wife or with a woman. Uh, at his whim and fancy, he could deal with her. And here the Lord is introducing this law to protect the woman, to uh, keep her uh, safe. And uh, <laughs> a, long time, a long time before, what's her name, Emmeline Pankhurst came into play, isn't it? Here already the Lord is thinking about a woman and her rights. I think today we need an Eric Pankhurst because I think sometimes we've gone the other way and a woman's rights are, uh, are not uh, are very much protected in many ways, but a man's rights are being forfeited. A man is losing, a husband is losing a right to see uh, his children when he's entitled to see his children, and so many other things. But friends, the sin of adultery, uh, here God is uh, curbing it, 
and this, this sin really today, isn't it, is so widespread amongst us. Adultery is promoted on the media, is made to look as fun, made to look as an excitement. It's not seen as sin, it's not seen as for the abominable uh, act that it is. So uh, it is something that is to be avoided uh, by us all. There is forgiveness if a person has fallen, if a believer has fallen into it, there is forgiveness for that person, but it is still an abominable thing. Now, I must just let me close very quickly with this final uh, point, and that is reverence uh, due to law and justice. And one more uh, scripture, and then we'll, we'll finish. Chapter 16 and verse uh, 18. Judges uh, and officers shall thou make thee in all thy gates, which the Lord thy God giveth thee throughout thy tribes, and they shall judge the people with just judgment. Justice it must be impartial. That's what's in mind here. This Bill of Rights, well, it had at its very center the concept that all the members uh, in the nation of Israel were equal uh, before the law, and therefore they, each one could expect uh, equal justice, regardless of their status. Verse 20 says, that which is altogether just shalt thou follow. That is, justice and nothing but justice is to be meted out to those who come before the judges. That's God's will for the nation. That's God's divine ideal for all nations. And it's so much like God. God is no respecter of persons. And the judges were to be no respecter of, of persons. In those cases that came before them, well, these local judges were to show no favoritism, to accept no gifts, accept no bribes from them. They were not to pervert the course of justice, just be, uh, give favors to those uh, who gave them financial gifts or other gifts, or those who were their friends or family members. That was not to happen. Justice had to be impartial. They had to judge righteous uh, judgment. Well, unfortunately, uh, there have been uh, great miscarriages of justice down through the time, isn't it? What's the greatest miscarriage of justice that there's been? Oh, friends, it's the mock trials, it's the sentencing to death of that innocent person, the Lord Jesus Christ. That was the greatest injustice of all time, when he who had done no sin he who had done no wrong, didn't deserve to be arrested, didn't deserve to be accused, didn't deserve to be mishandled and roughed up and beaten as he was, didn't deserve his sentence. Everything was so unjust, unjust about everything that happened to him. He was the just one. And yet he is treated unjustly by the elders, the Sanhedrin, and then by Pilate, who also out of favor because he was afraid of losing his political power and position. He knew he was innocent. He knew that he was a righteous man. And he, at one point, he wanted to set him free, but his desire to retain his position meant he, uh, he agreed to have Christ uh, crucified. The most wicked resting of judgment that there has ever been when Christ was placed in the hands of wicked men. And that's what happened, an unjust thing. But friends, justice must be uh, impartial. Oh, friends, you can see uh, others' cases here. The, the innocent 
an innocent person is innocent until proven guilty. If a local court uh, couldn't decide or somebody was unhappy with an outcome, they could appeal to a high court. All these things that we have in our law today, they're already here. They're in the Bible. And you can see them for yourself. Well, friends, I hope, <laughs> I hope it's not been tedious for you to hear these things. But uh, I want you to see and capture a little bit of the kindness of God uh, in uh, giving us these laws and of the great concern that we should have for one another to treat one another uh, as the Lord would have us to treat, with e with, uh, treat each other equally and with, uh, in a humane way and in a dignified way. This is so important. This is the God of the Old Testament. This is the God of the Old, the same as the God of the New. The God of the Old Testament is a harsh God, is an angry God, is a cruel God, people tell us. No, he's not. He's a God who cares uh, on a very uh, down-to-earth way about what's happening with us and how we're dealing with us. And so he puts these laws into place to help us uh, to deal in a kind way with each other. Well, let's uh, close by singing our final hymn. Number 119, a verse, uh, part 9. My life was fashioned by thy hand. 119, part 9.